Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. If you've been wondering where the podcast has been, because there's been a little bit of a hiatus, I haven't put a podcast out since February, because I've had a little boy. My son uh, was born beginning of March. He was uh, 11 days late, the result of successful fertility treatment. And the reason for the Fertility Podcast being in existence. The whole point of this podcast is to talk to people, whether it be experts or everyday people like you or me who have got a story to tell, to help people who are, maybe you are one of them, on a fertility journey trying to start a family, maybe a second time round. Episode 13 was the fascinating story of Jane Newman and her family and how difficult they found getting pregnant a second time round and what actually happened as a result. So do go back and listen. If you've just downloaded the Fertility Podcast, welcome. Now you can listen to these podcasts in any which way order, um, but I'd say go from the start because there is lots of references backwards and forwards and you might just find it a bit confusing. It's great to have you here. Really hope that you find this interesting and uh, coming up we're going to be talking to a lady called Sheila Lamb. Now Sheila's launched a magazine called My Fertility Specialist. You might have seen the mag. This podcast was due to come just after her first mag came out in February but like I say I've been a bit delayed. She has a very interesting story about the difficulties her and her husband had getting pregnant. I'll leave it for Sheila to tell her story and please do let me know what you think of the podcast if you haven't yet subscribed you can do so via the fertilitypodcast.com or on itunes or stitcher and if you're happy to leave a review again much appreciated it's really interesting to know what you think so here's sheila this is episode 14 of the fertility podcast sheila is a qualified nurse and registered midwife so with regards to any fertility issues you're going to have more insight than most so just talk me through how long you and your husband spent before you actually went to talk to somebody about not being able to conceive well i was quite late in starting a family because i didn't meet my um, husband till i was 39 and he was 27 so he had a bit of catching up to do about the biological clock and stuff like that. So I suppose we were probably trying um, without obviously using any precautions for about a year and uh, knowing obviously at, at 40 that uh, it couldn't go on for much longer. We did go and see the GP who initially sent us away and just told us to, you know, try harder kind of thing. But we then went almost straight back after a month or so and saw a different doctor who referred us to, you know, a fertility consultant at a local hospital. I probably knew a little bit more about fertility than some, but being a midwife, I'm, I'm there when women are pregnant rather than trying to get pregnant. So it was all still quite, you know, new to me with all the research and what I had to read up on. But I suppose having a medical background did make it easier. Where did you go to read up on things? Oh, well, it, it was mainly the internet, I have to say. I mean, this is sort of, you know, 10 years ago. Did buy a couple of books when we were further on into our battle with infertility. But yes, it was mainly the internet, I have to say. So can you remember a moment where you were told that there was a definite problem or were you diagnosed with unexplained? I was diagnosed with unexplained. However, because I suppose of my age, I had always thought it could be more difficult for me to get pregnant at my age. We first went ahead and did IUI because we thought, well, if it's unexplained, that's cheaper. Obviously, we've got to pay for ourselves. So even though you were, forgive me for saying it, in the older age bracket, <laughs> you still had to pay. You weren't eligible. 
for funding, NHS funding, even though you didn't have a child already? Yeah, to, to be honest, I don't, I think I just assumed that because right. I was 40, so I don't even remember really looking into it. And certainly the GP nor the clinics advised us that it might be worth looking into NHS funding. Um, right. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure by the time I was 41, I was like, no, they're going to they're gonna write me off. <laughs> Because you just described it as your battle. What what were the struggles? Uh, I suppose um, one of the most difficult was because it was unexplained, which is probably one of the worst because nothing is unexplained to me. There has to be a reason, but I suppose they did put it down to my age, although they said unexplained stroke, <laughs> older woman. But it, it was it was just the frustration of thinking, you know, there must be some reason. Why can't you find that reason? And I suppose for me, because a lot of my friends are my age, their children were teenagers by this point, I didn't have a lot of friends having babies. Although, say that, I do have some younger friends who were having babies. So, like everybody, that was difficult, seeing people getting pregnant and having babies. And here I am becoming a godmother for the seventh time. <laughs> uh, much as I love all my godchildren, there comes a point when you want one of your own. And I suppose I did feel the guilt of not being able to provide my husband with, you know, a child. So I was keen to hear from Sheila how her and her husband coped with what obviously was going to not be such a straightforward process of them trying to get pregnant. Well, our situation was a bit bit unusual because we actually had a business, so we worked together as well. So my husband was the boss. We're quite good at talking things through. Not to say that that was always an easy thing to do. And I probably would have liked to have gone down the route of having some counselling, but my husband was dead against it. I think it's one of those things where it's going to cost even more money, so we don't need it, let's ignore it. And funnily enough, we had some friends, because I was quite open and I talked to people about it. And I don't know whether that was an age thing, because I was older and felt more confident about talking about it but I was quite open and a friend was going through fertility treatment at the same time as us up north and her husband's from Yorkshire and they they did three tries and then they decided that was enough and they adopted but afterwards we were obviously talking and, and they actually went for counselling and they said it was probably one of the best things that they did. Um, I can't remember at what point whether it was to help them accept that it wasn't, uh, they were going to have natural children, they were going to adopt. But looking back, I think perhaps counselling would have been a good thing to have um, because, it, you know, you, you eat, breathe and sleep infertility when you're going through it. And yeah. with all the will in the world, you try and lead a normal life. You try and have the holiday, the weekends away. And even we started trying when we were planning our wedding. And obviously in the back of my mind was, well, I might be pregnant on my, you know, with a bump on my wedding day. So you, you kind of put your life on hold. So what happens next? You had the IUI. Did you then have IVF? Yeah, we did the IUI and obviously that wasn't successful. So we went back to the clinic and they said, look, we, we do suggest you do um, IVF. We were happy, well, happy-ish with that. I had previously to even having investigations, I had been doing some acupuncture because I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, you do need to look after your body for it to work to the, its best ability, really. Um, but so we did the, we did the IVF 
and that all went well. I remember I produced six eggs, which again, for someone of my age, was was quite good. Did you find you kept having that woman of your age label put on you? Was that something you had to deal with as well as all the fertility treatment you were going through? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because there was always that, oh, yes, well, of course, it's the age of your eggs and stuff like that, you know. Was that hard? Um, it, it is what it is, to be honest. You can't do anything yeah. about your age and, you know, it, it, it's life. I was married at 23, but divorced at 29, you know, and then uh, uh, rubbish relationships when I was most fertile. Um, so, you know, for some people... It's life. It is. Some people are happy to go it alone and have a child, but I, I wasn't. So I, you know, waited for, for, for a partner. So, yeah, I, I suppose it was just, well, yeah, I know I am. Stop rubbing it in. <laughs> well, you proved in the IVF the, the treatment was working. Was it successful? Did you fall pregnant? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't, sadly. So how long till you went back to a specialist? Probably about, yeah, probably about two and a half, three years, because by then I was like, oh, I'm coming up to 45 now, 45, 46 probably. Um, this is either going to, you know, happen or not. And um, I think what prompted us was I was reading a article in a Sunday paper or something like that, and it was an article about an older woman who had got pregnant and you know I spoke to my husband and I said I really think we ought to to go back because we have given it you know two and a half years <laughs> should be long enough really to uh, make it work but this time we decided that we would go abroad the article I'd read was from a clinic in Spain the IVF coordinator nurse was English which we quite um, liked the idea of and we, we contacted them so just talk me through how you go about that decision to go abroad. I mean, you've read it, you've seen it. Logistically, how does that happen? Um, with the clinic that we went to, it was a small clinic. So we, we were directly in contact with uh, the IVF nurse. We talked on the phone about our history. And we went, we arranged to go over there for an appointment. It was in, uh, in Marbella. So that was quite a nice place to go to for a, yeah. a short trip anyway. Much better than, go, you know, maybe going to London or somewhere. So we went ahead, saw the doctor. And that was nice because, you know, we saw the doctor, the, the top doctor, the, the one with all the qualifications. And there wasn't anyone else to see, which obviously at the, the clinic in London would be to you saw a different person each time. Uh, and it was a it was a good appointment. We were happy. One thing he did do the um, dummy embryo transfer, where they you know sort of pass a catheter just to see if um, you know there's any problems with the cervix or the uterus. So that was reassuring because that hadn't happened right. at uh, the clinic in London. Uh, and we were we were very happy with um, with the, you know everything that we went through with them. They were very good. Yeah. And so, what time frame? Were you there for? Was it literally you were there for a few days? Yeah, I think with that appointment we were there for a couple of days, and then obviously we started. Um, you know, we decided to go for um, RVF with ICSI. We had done ICSI at the time before as well, with, um, yeah. back in London. So that was what we we decided to do. Um, the only thing I did differently was I took baby aspirin because uh, I was a bit concerned at my age, and, and they were fine with that. They said, "Yep, go ahead," and that's you know that's not a problem. So. So we did, and then we started the treatment, really. And how did it work with the scans? Were you flying out each time to have the scans? No, no. I, I found a, a, a place that I could get scans um, here, here in the UK. So I went along there, and then they faxed the results out. Um, drugs uh, regarding medication, I think. I think the clinic put me in touch with a company in Italy, so it was quite... Uh, 
you know, quite global. <laughs> you, you, you can do it a bit differently now in the UK. Asda springs to mind. I see quite a lot of people say about getting drugs at Asda because it's quite cheap and if you've got a prescription and stuff like that. It wasn't particularly stressful at all. It's just the only sort of stressful thing, I suppose, is timing going over there. Uh, the transfer. The actual transfer and everything, collection transfer and all that sort of thing. So, you know, you've got to obviously book your flight and you've got to find... Uh, somewhere to stay when we went over there for the, the, the cycle treatment and we met uh, the couple who managed the apartments for the guy in the UK and um, they said you know yeah oh yeah yeah we've met quite a few ladies who are you know go, going down down to the uh, fertility clinic so <laughs> it wasn't that unusual. And after you had the transfer were you having to wait till you could fly back is there any restriction on the time or can you have the transfer and come home? Uh, I seem to remember that we, we could fly within a couple of days, but I think right. we, we, we'd stayed out there, I think, for uh, about 10 days. I think we had the transfer on the Friday, and I think we flew back maybe the Monday or the Tuesday, something like that. To um, have a little break. Yeah, a little break. And I, I did, um, they, they were good. They, they put me in contact with somebody to do acupuncture. So the, the acupuncturist came to the clinic and did acupuncture before the transfer and after the transfer and it was nice again that they sort of wheeled me when, when they'd done the transfer and of course you see the embryos which is absolutely wonderful uh, on the tv and then once they put the embryos back i was wheeled back i didn't have to get off the the the, the bed and walk back with my legs crossed <laughs> thinking everything's gonna fall out um they wheeled us back uh, me back to the little room where i had acupuncture again and i think i actually fell asleep for an hour so that was all very, very relaxed, much more relaxed than um, when we did it uh, in London. Much more relaxed. And a successful outcome? Well, yes, it was successful for a little while. Um, we, uh, we, we did the, um, had a blood test um, and I was pregnant, but it wasn't as high. I think it was something like 29. The HCG was 29 and ideally it would be in the 80s. Um, but it went up. Uh, it went up for the next uh, test as well um, and then um, I had an early scan and they said well, we can't see I mean it was you know sort of literally for six weeks we can't really see a heartbeat but there is something there so come back but unfortunately I think I miscarried about uh, four days five days later just before Christmas 2009 that was right so yes I, I had got pregnant which was which is down, well, astounded us really. We were absolutely shocked because before we did the treatment, we, we decided we'd have two plans a plan A, you know, that we, we would get successfully pregnant, that would be good, or another plan A, which meant that if it didn't work this time, this would be our only time, then um, we would, you know, rent our house out, sell the business, and just go off traveling. So, both both those plans we were quite happy with. And we're both exciting. We're very exciting, yeah, exactly. So, getting pregnant and and then miscarrying was like, oh, well, we didn't factor in this plan. <laughs> so what did you do? I then became, you know, research person extraordinaire and back on the Internet and uh, just researched implantation failure, early miscarriage. And I kept coming up with the same answer, which also prompted me to buy a book called Is Your Body Baby Friendly by Dr. Alan Beer. Some people like his way of thinking. Some people don't. And I think what you have to do when it's your journey is you have to do what feels right to you. Go with your gut instincts. He's not around anymore, unfortunately, but he did a lot of investigations into 
immune system, you know, your immune system, uh, also uh, sort of blood clotting issues. And I ha have a family history of blood clotting problems. So to me, I was like, well, okay, I could have this and I've never been tested for it. So I came across a um, miscarriage consultant in Surrey um, who I contacted and we made an appointment to go and see him. He was of the same belief as, as, as Alan Beer. So, you know, again, with my medical background, it kind of made sense, if you like. So the point of conception, because we know that you had your daughter born in 2011, mm -hmm. further fertility treatment in the UK or did you go abroad again? So we went back to, uh, we went back to the same clinic. So after seeing Mr. Chahata and having the immune and the blood clotting test, convinced they would come back um, with something, they all came back negative. <laughs> I thought, no, right. oh. typical. But he agreed I could do the treatment as if I did, because I didn't have all of the tests, because that would have been about £5,000. We just had the very generic ones. And he agreed that I could do the treatment. Um, that he would put uh, uh, somebody on if they did have problems. I went back to the clinic and I had a, 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 again, had a great uh, late night phone call with the doctor there for about an hour discussing what we were going to do. He wanted me to have another scan of my uterus, of the lining, which, and he was, he was happy for me to do the miscarriage consultant, Mr. Shahata's treatment whilst I was doing IVF. So um, we wanted to do it quite quickly because I was coming up to 46. And so I um, spoke to my parents, <laughs> said, could you lend us some money, please? <laughs> and, and they did, despite already having about seven grandchildren. And we went back um, in the April um, to do um, IVF and ICSI again at the same clinic. But it was the April that the um, Icelandic volcano erupted oh the ash clouds <laughs> and shut down all the flights so they right. were like oh my god what are we going to do so uh, and you got there well you trying to get there uh, we, we looked at obviously alternatives you know ferry driving blah 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 fortunately just before we booked all of that they opened the airspace and so with about a, a week to go um we booked flights and flew out instead <laughs> But, you know, you try and keep this, or you're supposed to be, you know, keep it stress-free and everything. And, you know, Mother Nature steps in and throws up a big volcano cloud. Typical. <laughs> typical. So you you got there ultimately. You had the treatment. Is this like the killer gene? Is that what they were kind of well, assuming that you had? It's the natural killer cells that, that, that yeah. the um, uh, investigations were for. But I was put on um, steroid, prednisolone and um, baby aspirin again, and um, a blood thinning injection called Clexane, which you have to inject um, in your stomach, but obviously you're used to that by this point. We stayed there a little bit longer. I, I did uh, Zeta West visualization CD. Yeah. Um, which my, my husband said I was much more positive about it working this time. So maybe going abroad for fertility treatment is something you've thought about and in our next episode as well, episode 15, we're going to be speaking to a clinic in Spain as well as a fertility coordinator, somebody who's responsible for making sure all the logistics are in place. So make sure you have subscribed at thefertilitypodcast.com. Let's hear more from Sheila. We actually spoke with Zita on episode four of the Fertility Podcast and she highlighted, and we've talked about mindfulness a lot in 
the different episodes of the podcast, uh, especially last month. But she highlighted just how important it is for that visualization and the affirmations and that positive mindset. And, and a lot of the different stories that we've heard on the podcast have highlighted that. So I'm, I'm thrilled that Again, that worked. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As I say, I, I didn't do it, you know, when we did it back in London, but I did do it for these two over in Spain. I felt it uh, it made a difference. You got a positive outcome. We did, yes, we did. We we obviously came home and uh, we actually did the blood test a day late that we should have done. So the clinic were in that saying, what's happened, what's happened? And we had to get that result from the doctor. And so we were on the phone to the GP and um, we both burst out crying. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> So, um, you know, even the doctor was in tears, practically. So it's just such a wonderful, you know, because it was a good, it was a good, you know, it was a very high. Excuse me, was so, so much higher. And, um, and yeah, so we just told everybody, because <laughs> everybody knew we were doing it, you know, after having the miscarriage. And when you, when it's an early miscarriage, people don't, people don't know you're pregnant. They, they're not very supportive, I found. It was a case of like, you know, almost protectively said, oh, I bought some potatoes at the shop. You know, something just so meaningless because they hadn't had the, you know, the news that you're pregnant and then you've lost it. Yeah. So, we, we, we you know, we told everybody this time. And I thought if, you know, if we are going to, you know, get pregnant and have another miscarriage, then, you know, I want better support from from family, really. Than, than we That's fair got, enough. You know, Sorry. <laughs> don't apologize <laughs> don't apologize now i understand why you called it a six-year battle there's a, a a lot that you know you, you've been through mentally and physically not only have you been a human pincushion but trying the different things you've had travel in there as well the backwards and forwards thing most people go to an airport for either business or pleasure you know yours is a whole different thing and and th- that aspect of it yeah. i think is is it's quite impactful i think on on what it does for you because it's a, it's a real mission that you're going on Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as you say, when you go on holiday to the airport, you're all happy and excited. And of course, you are happy and excited to be going to do fertility treatment. But um, it's, you know, it's 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 a different happy and excited and uh, yeah. looking forward to the next sort of two weeks kind of thing. <laughs> so. so in 2011, your daughter was born. She was, yes. What's her name? Jessica. Jessica. Yes. And after you'd got used to being a mum what point did you decide to set up my fertility specialist did you give yourself a couple of years yes yeah yeah uh, I, I I I found it quite a, a struggle becoming a mum I don't know whether it was because I was a bit older I mean it's exhausting <laughs> but but yeah, obviously you know obviously wonderful wonderful but but it's exhausting so um yeah I, I was well I I didn't obviously have a, a a job to go to so we decided that after all we'd been through I, I would not go back to look for a job initially and obviously when you you know you have a child you do look at your life you know do you want do you want to go out so you know early in the morning and come home late and not see the child and obviously everyone no matter how they've had their baby has that battle with themselves I, I don't know if when you've gone through fertility you you know you even more so don't want someone else to look after the baby that you fought so hard for. Looking at something that I could work around her was one thing I was looking for. And I, I did initially think about writing a book of other people's stories, which I did start actually. But in, in that sort of time, um, my husband sort of said, well, look, you've always 
wanted you know thought about doing a magazine because when you know you are going through as you say you asked initially where did you find all the information well it's on the internet or you read a book and what do you trust on the internet who do you trust on the internet and there is so much more now it's so much more good stuff now as in the online support groups and people doing webinars and obviously your podcast and there is so so much (laughs) that wasn't around when I was even you know sort of five years ago um but one thing I'd always thought of wouldn't it be great to have a magazine and I suppose again that's my medical background because you do get medical journals um and so and you find out so much information um, and that's what you need when you're going through infertility whether you're just starting out of course you need information although there can be a bit of information overload um but even if you have been trying for two, three, four years, you know, done several cycles, you, you still need information and, and yeah. advances in infertility treatment and tests and all those sorts of things are, are, you know, as we all know, changing almost on a weekly basis. So that's, that's really where the idea came from. The magazine, My Fertility Specialist, launched in February. So that's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. So you're going to do a bi-monthly magazine. Uh, just talk to me a bit about what you hope for the mag. My ultimate hope is obviously that it helps people to achieve their dream. Uh, whether that's one person, that would be fantastic. And the more would be even better. So it, it really is just providing people with information. And, and obviously, I, I can't please everybody in a magazine. Um, but if it gives somebody a nugget of information that they take away and then they do their research or they buy a book and read up on it uh, and it helps them at least either tick a box that says, well, we did that. We tried that during our journey. It didn't work for us, but at least we know, you know, there's never going to be that. What if we've tried that? And, and as well, it's it's very time consuming. I remember it almost became a full-time job researching stuff on the internet for well you can't help but get a bit obsessed can you exactly you know a book's great for just one subject or a couple of subjects that's fantastic and a magazine could give you access to experts that you know you you might have to pay a hundred pounds for a consultation but in that expert's article you could find out the same information and then maybe go to that expert and for, for, for further advice. I'm also doing a what's going on diary uh, for the next two months. Said so That's not just exhibitions or things you can personally go to. It's people who are doing webinars, tele-summit, online stuff, as well as support groups at the clinic or Facebook support groups, all those sorts of things to, right. again, to give people that information that what they can actually access out there. Because there's loads online. I mean, it's such an amazing online community, I Absolutely. think, with regards to what people are tweeting about and all the different Facebook groups. Well, yeah. We're going to put all the details of the website on the show notes Absolutely. and we'll keep in touch and we'll speak again about how, how it's going. Um, I'm just looking at the website now. It's really easy to do. I've done it because you can have online or a hard copy access or whatever you yeah. prefer. Um, and Sheila, best of luck with, with it. And um, like I say, we'll, we'll be speaking more. Um, and thank you so much for chatting to me. You're welcome. Thank you for asking thank me. Thank you. <laughs> Pleasure. Amazing story. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. The Fertility Podcast. So you heard Sheila getting a bit upset. I mean, it's such a massive thing when you've been, as she and her husband have, on a journey for six years to try and start your family. Hopefully, if this is uh, any way similar to your situation, it's helped. If you're just starting to look into 
issues that might be affecting your fertility situation, do have a look at the website, thefertilitypodcast.com. Have a listen to some of our earlier podcasts. There's expert interviews with the likes of Zeta West in episode four. Also, Dr. Marilyn Glenville in episode 11, who's a nutritionist. Uh, They're just two examples. Episode seven was a special on poor sperm health. Sometimes, as hard as it is for a guy to admit, um, the problem can lie with men. It's pretty common. And uh, to make everybody's lives easier, if you are a guy listening to this, go into it open-minded if you and your other half are trying to get pregnant. It might not be her. It might be you. And and that happens to so many men. It's nothing to be ashamed about. Men don't talk about it, which we've been really trying to do here on the Fertility Podcast. So lots to think about. What I'd say is if you're just new to the Fertility Podcast, please have a listen to some of my other shows. Do let me know what you think. Until next time.